Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. And friends and family, so great to see you. Thanks for being in the room. If you're joining us online, man, we wish you were here because we're going to play a game uh, real quick. My name is Nathan. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Revo. But uh, even though I preach here on Sunday morning, I also preach in the student ministry on Wednesday night on this campus. And uh, so if you're a student, have a student, know a student, can spell student, we'd love to see you on, uh, on Wednesday uh, hanging out with that crew. That crew is wild. I love it. But we do this game uh, a lot of times when we start out the student ministry. Uh, we'll play a game called Two Truths and a Lie, right? So here's the idea if you don't know it, uh, if you've never played it before. There's three statements that either get put up on the screen or somebody will stand on stage and give three statements. And two of them are true and one of them is a lie. And, and your goal is to try to guess which one is the lie. Um, so just to give you kind of a little taste of what we do on Wednesday night, we're going to play this game real quick. Don't be too cool for school. Everybody's going to participate. Um, so I'm going to give you three sentences, three little phrases, and you're going to try to guess which one is, is the lie. So let me give them to you first, and then we'll just do kind of show of hands, uh, one, two, or three, which one you think is a lie. So here we go. First one is this. Let me give you the three things. One of these is a lie. Uh, number one, I like to swim in the pool during the summertime. There's the first, first one. Number two, ranch is my favorite salad dressing. And number three, I was a tennis player in high school. I was on the tennis team. Got it? So I like to swim in a pool during the summer. Ranch is my favorite salad dressing. And I was on the tennis team when I was in high school. Raise your hand if you think I don't swim in the pool, if you think that is the lie. Okay, so a few hands going up. All right. Gotcha. You guys are looking at my body. He's like, no way, that guy. <laughs> Not a swimmer. Uh, number two, how many of you think I'm, I'm team honey mustard? You're like, he doesn't like ranch. He's not a ranch guy. He's team honey mustard all the way. Okay. All right. And then number three, uh, how many of you look and say, number three, that's, that, I'm not looking at an athlete. I'm not looking at an athlete at all. Okay. That's hurtful over there. Good. <laughs> wow. Got a whole family over here disrespecting me. Um, all right. So truth be told, I, I did play tennis in high school. My senior year, I played number one, went undefeated. No big deal. I'm just a regular person. Like, don't treat me any different. Uh, we made it to the state championship and I was the only one on our team that won. No, again, no problem. I'm, I'm approachable. I'm just a regular guy. Okay. Um, but it was kind of a big deal there. So, uh, ranch is hundred percent my favorite salad dressing along with like my favorite condiment. Um, I do not like to swim in a pool. And I'll tell you what ruined it for me. Uh, when I was in high school, one of my first jobs actually was a lifeguard at a pool. And I don't know if this is the same thing at every pool, but part of my lifeguarding responsibilities was to clean out the filters in the pool. I am not going to ruin it for you if you're a swimmer. But if you saw the things that you pulled out of a pool filter that are in the filter now, but they used to be in that water that you people are swimming in and you're letting go all over your face and spitting out, you know, when you dive. Like, that was in your mouth. Like, if you saw what I saw, you would never, ever swim in a public pool again. 
And I can't tell you how many times I was on the lifeguard stand. That should scare a lot of you right there. But I was in charge of everyone in the pool. And, and there would be a, a mom that would walk by and, and tell her little kid, you need to get out of the pool. We need to take a bathroom break. And that little kid looked at the mom and said, it's okay. I peed in the pool. Too often that is happening. And so like right then I was like, man, I, like I'm just having to ask myself, if one of these kids is drowning, am I going to get in that pool? Like, that's why ultimately I had to get a new job. I was like, I am, I am not doing that. So there's the lie right there. I'm, I'm, I'm team ranch and also a tennis player. Here's the next one. I'm going to tell you a little something about my wife and, uh, and myself. Tell me if you can figure out which one of these is a lie. Number one, I went to the prom in high school with my wife. That's the first statement. Number two, my wife beat me in a tennis tournament in high school. And number three, growing up, my wife always wanted to marry a lawyer. All right? So wanted to marry a lawyer. Somebody's like, boy, is she disappointed now? Uh, somebody wanted, did my wife want to marry a lawyer? Did she ever beat me in tennis in a tournament? And did we go to the prom together? Raise your hand if you think there's no way y'all been dating that long. You did not go to the prom in high school. You didn't go to your wife. That's just too Cinderella. It's too story. Okay, a few people. All right, well, uh, second one, uh, my wife, who knows? Like shadow of a doubt, anatomically impossible for Elizabeth to ever outdo me in an athletic competition. You're like, that cannot be true. Wow. <laughs> very, very few hands. All right. And then uh, third, growing up, my wife wanted to marry a lawyer. How many of you think, nah, she didn't want to marry a lawyer? Okay. A lot of you. So real talk, when I was in high school, um, Elizabeth and I played in a tennis tournament. It was a mixed tournament at the country club in our town. Sure enough, both of us made it to the finals. And who do you think won? Elizabeth. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. And if you ever come to my house, for some reason, Elizabeth has those trophies proudly displayed. <laughs> one tall one that says champion and one runner-up that is slightly smaller. And she'd love to tell you about it if you ever come by. That'll be one of the first things. Some people bring their, their guests over to like artwork on the walls that their kids did in elementary school. Elizabeth's like, let me tell you about this tournament that Nathan and I played in when we were 16 and 17 years old. So that actually, uh, that actually did happen. And when I was in the 10th grade, my wife was in the 11th grade, hashtag older women, and she invited me to go to the prom, which was really weird because I didn't have my driver's license. And so Elizabeth had to come to my house and pick me up for the prom. She knocks on the door. is like, I'm here to pick up Nathan. And my dad's like, now sit down here. What are your intentions with my son tonight? <laughs> oh man, it was super embarrassing. She's driving. She has this big tool dress and I'm trying to like put it into the car, into the driver's seat and close it I'm running around to the passenger side. Just great. But that's how it started uh, right there. The lie is that growing up, my wife wanted to marry a lawyer. Truth is, my wife always said, growing up, I want to marry a doctor. It wasn't a lawyer, it was a doctor, which you can imagine how thrilled she was when I told her we were going to plant a church and move to Winston-Salem. So um, interesting enough, that, that is uh, part of the little tweak of the question here. I want to teach you, like, like, in order to excel at this game, you have to know how to lie. So I'm going to teach you real quick how to lie. If you go home and say, what did you learn in church today? Be like, the pastor taught us how to be good liars. And so here's how the game works. If you're going to win at this game, you have to, the, the lie that you tell, it can't be exaggerated, right? It can't be so unbelievable that as soon as somebody hears it, then they just, they just write it off and, and it's identifiable. It has to be just small. 
just one word or one little detail that will trick them up. That's how you convince someone of a lie. Like, like for example, if I got up here and I said, I, I can speak 22 different languages, like all of you would be like, that's the lie. Like you don't even know 22 different languages, Nathan. Like you couldn't even list them. Like I know you can't speak it. But if I got up and said, I am fluent in two languages, then like that may be believable, right? I mean, most people take Spanish in middle school and high school. And when I was in seminary, you had to learn how to speak Greek and read Greek and Hebrew in order to read the, the Old and the New Testament. So like that's believable, but really that's uh, like I'm English. That's it. I'm not really good at that either. Uh, but, but that's it. So that's the key to telling a lie. And you know who knows that better than anyone? Satan. In fact, Satan is the greatest liar of all time. He does it all the time. As scripture tells us in John chapter 8, verse 44, that not only is Satan a great liar, that he is the father of all lies. Because when you think about it, when Satan rolled up into the Garden of Eden, the way that he tricked Adam and Eve into sinning and disobeying God was he lied to them. He said, if you eat this fruit, then you will be like God. And when Satan lied to him and birthed this lie here on earth into sin, Adam and Eve fell for it because, look, it just made sense. It was, it was one little phrase, one little word that Satan tweaked and put this idea in their head that made them think, well, actually, like, that makes a little bit of sense. I could see that's why God doesn't want us to do it because he doesn't want us to be like him. He wants to be God and he doesn't want us to be and, in the book of Exodus, we've been going through this series for the last couple of weeks in the book of Exodus, and um, the people here in the first couple of chapters, they've been lied to. And if you're not careful, if they're not careful, they will succumb and fall for the same lies that you and I have been presented with as well. Like, we've heard these lies, I bet, even this week. And the thing about the, the beginning of the book of Exodus is the reason why it's so easy for them to be duped and tricked is at the beginning of Exodus, these people are going through a hard time. They're in slavery right now. And think about that, because when you and I are susceptible to lies, either Satan lying about who God is, or when Satan tells us lies about us, the times when we are most susceptible is when life gets hard. When things aren't panning out the way that we wanted them to, or the way that we thought they would, that's when the little lies start to sound familiar. And they start to sound enticing. Those are the times where we're most susceptible to believing things either about God that are not true or about ourselves that are not true. It's the times where we're struggling, where we're looking at our life and saying, this didn't pan out the way that I thought it was. Like, there's just something's not right here. It's not going on. And we begin to question everything. And that's when Satan knows he's got a little foot in the door where he can talk to you and whisper things in your ear and you're most likely to believe. And when, when something bad happens, when someone dies, when a relationship isn't restored, when your marriage is on the rocks and your finances are in ruins, when, when a prayer goes unanswered, those are the times where we begin to think in life. Now, is what I think about God true? Are the promises of God real? Is the Bible real? Because it looks like what it says in the Bible is very different than what I'm living right now. When all of those times we begin to struggle with our faith, sometimes our faith falters and, and it's weak. Sometimes I've seen people totally turn their back on God because they begin to question everything, their faith, and is God real, and God, does God love us, and it, does any of this matter? Does God know what I'm going through? 
Well, the book of Exodus highlights that because it's a season in God's people and the lives and their history where they are slaves. I didn't mention this before, but from the beginning of Exodus chapter 1 until the end of Exodus chapter 2 actually covers 400 years. So when we talk about God's people that, by the way, didn't do anything wrong, they were obeying God, they were being faithful to God, like, it's not like they sinned and now they're fallen into slavery and it's a consequence for their sin. They did everything that God told them to do. And yet here for 400 years, they find themselves in slavery in Egypt. 400 years. Can you imagine? That means children were born as slaves and died as slaves. Generation after generation after generation knew nothing but slavery. Now wait a minute. You mean to tell me that we're God's people? That we're God's chosen people? That like somehow God loves us and we've been in slavery for 400 years? You can imagine the questions that would pop into their minds after generation passes and there's still no freedom. Scripture tells us that these slave drivers were brutal. They made them work 16, 18-hour days in the hot sun, doing everything the hard way. And this is what God does for his people? This is how God looks out for the ones that are supposed to love him and follow him? Like, who is this? This doesn't even make any kind of sense. And even though you and I haven't gone through 400 years of slavery, I would begin to imagine that every person in here can relate to what these people are going through. Because everyone in here has been through a dark season Dark nights of the soul where, honestly, either God has done some things or has not done some things. You've prayed some prayers and they have not been answered or everything in your life feels like it's falling apart. And what you have right now is not what you would have planned. And it brings you to a point to ask God some really difficult questions. Like just real blunt, real honest questions that I have for you, God. This is where these people would have been. I don't know if you can relate, but I've gone through tough seasons in my life as a follower of Jesus. Times where I'm looking up at God and I'm like, hey, I feel like I'm doing everything you asked me to do. I feel like I'm living the right life. I feel like I'm saying yes. I feel like I'm being obedient. But like, look, this is not what I signed up for. What is going on here? Where are you, God? It's moments like that when people begin to step away from the church. People begin to stop praying because they're like, well, I mean, you know, what's the use? Who cares? When they'll separate from Christian community because it's like, well, God doesn't, God doesn't care. God isn't in control. He doesn't know what he's doing. So why even, why even bother? That's where these people could have been. And that's the time where you start to believe the lies. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you three lies. If you have your Exodus book, let's take this out. If you haven't gotten a book yet, they're back at the connection bar. Uh, you can grab one on your way out. Or if you want to open up the app, all the sermon notes are in here. I want to show you three lies that you've probably heard this week, that you probably maybe have wrestled with this week, that Satan would love for you to believe, and then finally the truth that we find in, in Scripture. In, in Exodus chapter 1, we got the intro. The, the people of God are in slavery. And in, and in chapter 12, listen to what it's there. In chapter 1, verse 12, listen to what the text says. It says, But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. 
They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. Life was hard. But did you, did you catch what verse 12 said? Because verse 12 said, even though they were whipping them and beating them and oppressing them and life was the, the worst that it's ever been, the text said that God was still blessing them. God was still looking out for them. God was still increasing their number. God still had their back. Even though they were getting beaten, God was still blessing them. Here's the first lie that, that can pop into your mind, especially during times of hardship. Uh, God is not going to do anything. That's the first lie. Like when we face difficulty, these people have been in slavery for a long time, probably crossed their mind, God is not going to do anything. He's not listening. He doesn't care. But here's the reality. Hard times don't remove God's promises. Because God made a promise to his people, says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I will increase you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to take care of you. And the people are in the middle of slavery, knocking on God's doors like, hey, remember that time you made us that promise? Remember that time you said you were going to look out for us? Because uh, I don't know if you can see this, but it's not looking good. And the lie at that moment is uh, God's not going to do anything. That's why people walk away from church. That's why people don't pray. That's why people put their Bible down because they think, well, look, I've been praying a long time. God has an answer, so it doesn't work. God is not going to do anything. I've been showing up at church. I've been waiting for a breakthrough. I've been waking, working to get closer to God, and God hadn't put any effort. God is not going to do anything, so why go through any all of this? Why, why bother with it at all? And that's a lie that Satan would love to trick you into believing that, God, your situation, your life, your family, your finances, your marriage, your kids, your job, God is not going to do anything about it, so you might as well throw in the towel. You might as well stop asking. You might as well stop praying. You might as well stop locking arms with other people that can encourage you and, and to build you up. You might as well throw in the towel. And sometimes I think we have confused ourselves into believing that the only time that God works in your life is when your life is going well. And I would argue the exact opposite. Because the times in my life where I look back and have felt the presence of God closer than I ever have, where I feel like my relationship grew with God more than it ever has, was not the times when my life was going great. It's the times where I look back and I was in the midst of a struggle. Because it was during those times that I actually leaned into God more. And God proved himself faithful over and over again. But we've tricked ourselves into thinking that if my life is hard, if my job is hard, if my marriage is hard, if, if anything in my life is hard, then that means God's not here and he doesn't care and he's not going to work and he's not going to move and he's not going to do anything. If that is your relationship with God, then you are going to have a life filled with frustration. Because sometimes God actually allows hardships to come in our life to draw us closer to him. And during these 400 years, Scripture tells us that these men and women in slavery held on to the promise of God. They said, no, you don't understand. God told us. God promised us. And I know it looks bad now. I know it feels hard now. I know it's difficult right now. But listen, just because it's difficult doesn't mean that God's promises aren't true anymore. So don't believe the lie that God doesn't do, doesn't do anything when times are hard that God is not going to do anything because he hasn't done anything in your life yet. 
We talked about this last week, that uh, God is constantly weaving the loose ends together. Come on, it, you, you know what that feels like, right? Because it feels like there's a lot of loose ends in various areas of your life. And you're like, when is all of this going to come together? When is this going to be fixed? When is it going to get better? And we have to remind ourselves in the seasons of waiting that God is continuing to weave all those things together. He's pulling all the details together. He has a plan. God is constantly working, even when it's in the background, even when you can't see him moving. He is still working. And in the midst of 400 years of slavery, those people did not buy the lie that God wasn't working. They didn't believe that God wasn't going to do anything. Chapter 2, you fast forward, this is part of the 400 years. They're still in slavery in chapter 2. And in verse 23 of chapter 2, it says, Years passed, 400 years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. This next verse, I want you to highlight it, underline it, star it, circle it, memorize it. So helpful. Look at the response. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew that it was time to act. Man, those words, when, when you cry out to God, when you're praying and it doesn't feel like he's listening, it doesn't feel like the answer is coming, it doesn't feel like anything's getting better, remember this verse, God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. God knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly the problems you have and what you're facing. But here's the lie that Satan would love for you to believe. God doesn't even know. God doesn't know about those tears you shed at night. God doesn't know about those problems you have with other people. God doesn't know about the difficulty that you have in your life that, that no one else knows about, maybe just you and your spouse or you and your family. God doesn't know about that. But the truth that we read here is hard times do not escape God's attention. That's one of the problems that we have when we face difficulties. We can often feel like we're isolated. Like, God, do you, hello, do you even know I'm here? Do you even see what I'm going through? Like, come on, God, like, I, here I am struggling. Here I am in pain. Here I am praying. Prayers are going up, God. Don't feel like anything's coming down. I don't know if you can relate to that. But that's where the Israelites were. They were praying. Prayers were going up, and it didn't feel like God was listening. They're hitting the ceiling, coming back. Even if he was listening, like, he's not doing anything about it. He's not intervening. And so it's easy during that moment to feel like, man, I am one of a few billion people here on the planet, and God doesn't even know. God doesn't even know my pain. He doesn't know my struggle. Come on, just one, one person sitting in a room in Winston-Salem, you think God has time for you? Like out of all the things that are on God's to-do list today, you think caring about what you're going through is on it? And those are lies that we can begin to leave. I'm too insignificant. I don't matter. God's got too much on his plate. God just created the world and threw it out there and said, all right, good luck. Try to figure it out. I'll see you when you die. That's the lie that we can believe that God doesn't even know. But here, Scripture proves it says God heard and God saw, God remembered and God was ready to act. He was ready to do something. Man, if you're on the struggle bus this morning, I want you to remember that God sees you, God hears you, God remembers what he said, and God knows what you're encountering right now. The reality of this is quite the opposite. This is a, a lie that's easy to, lead, to be debunked because God, here in the book of Exodus, is constantly going to prove that he is willing and able to rescue his people. 
As we go through the rest of this book, you're going to realize God bailed them out so many times. And can I remind you of a time that God bailed you out? Scripture says, while you were still lost in your sin, while you were still far from God, God sent his son Jesus to die for you. You want to know that God loves you? You want to know that God sees where you are and that God has a desire to rescue you? You don't have to look any further than Jesus. God saw, God knew, God remembered, and God cared. I love this verse out of Ecclesiastes 3. It says, God has made everything beautiful in his time. This verse has a lot to do with time. Are you going to trust God in his timing? Scripture tells us, like, it's our responsibility to do the trusting, and God will take care of the timing, right? It's not up to us when it happens or how it happens or what it looks like. God just says, guys, you trust me, and at the right time, I will see and hear and know and act. So the question is, are you willing to trust God with his timing? Or are you going to believe the, the lie that God doesn't even know what you go through right now? That he doesn't even know, he doesn't even understand the pain that you're experiencing. Even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, even when life is difficult, even when we face hard times, we can either lean into God or we can push God away. And at this moment, thank goodness, these people continue to lean into God because at the end of chapter two, God says, now is the time where you're gonna see me move. My hope and prayer for you is that you would make it to that point, still being faithful and obedient to the point says, now God says, I'm gonna answer your prayer. Now I'm gonna make a way. Now I'm gonna move. Last verses are in chapter 3. Moses gets called out as a leader. God is speaking to Moses in this passage. And look what he says in verse 7. He says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Listen to what God says. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Man, what a foreshadowing of the gospel and what God is ultimately, what he did for you and for me by sending his son Jesus. I saw that they were dead in their sins. I saw that they were hopeless and helpless. And so I sent my son Jesus so that they could experience freedom. In the book of Exodus, God is going to deliver him. Here's a last lie that I want to warn you about. If you're not careful during hard times, you will be convinced that God doesn't care. God doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about what you're going through. He doesn't care about your life. He doesn't care about your happiness. He doesn't care about your purpose. He doesn't care about anything of that. But right here, Scripture makes it clear that hard times do not overshadow God's concern. That even though life is hard, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you, that God isn't concerned about you, that God doesn't have a plan that he's orchestrating. Look at, look at what King David says in Psalm 46. He said, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. I love that, man. Always. David says, you want to know who's always there when you're down? who's always there when you're in trouble, who's always there when you're brokenhearted, who's always there when you got questions, when your life didn't work out like you thought it would, God. He is always there. You'll always be able to find him in a time of trouble. And when these people were in trouble, they looked up and God said, now is the time. And I'm gonna show myself to these people and to Pharaoh. 
The easiest way to debunk a lie is to know what the truth is. And here's the deal. God provides truths in his word. You open up the Bible and every lie that Satan has that he wants you to believe about him, about you, and about God can be debunked if you know what the Bible says. Uh, Recently, I bought a uh, bookshelf from Ikea. And uh, I don't know if you're an Ikea fan or not, um, but I have a love-hate relationship with Ikea. Um, Number one, like the the, the furniture there is really trendy, right? It's like designed in Europe and, and so it's like styles and colors and designs that you maybe wouldn't see in a traditional furniture market. And so it's cool. It's cool just to go in there and kind of get a piece of furniture that, that looks different than everywhere else. But, but the problem with being trendy is like next year it won't be trendy anymore. And so you, you got to buy another, another piece of furniture. But that's where Ikea makes it easy because the furniture there is super cheap. Right? Like you can buy a, a bookshelf or a bed for a, a fraction of the price that you would in a, in a furniture store. So if you've ever been there, it's a huge place in Charlotte and uh, the closest one to us. And so I, I was in there and, and you, you can walk around the, the, the display area and they have all these pieces of furniture set up, right? Looks all great and they got it matching with all the other furniture around it. And, and on each piece of furniture, there'll, there'll be like a little code where it says like aisle five, bay four, because all the furniture is stored on the lower level. So once you realize what you want to buy, you know, you just take a picture of the, the aisle and the number, or you just remember it, and you go downstairs, and, and, and then that's when something hits you. If you've ever been to Ikea, you know what I'm getting ready to say. This furniture is not put together. And I don't know how they do it, but when you go to Ikea, you're trying to buy a bed, and they got it broken down into a box the size of a shoebox. And I'm walking out of the store thinking that I'm, I'm getting this big piece of furniture and I'm carrying the box like in one hand. I'm like, how am I going to do, how am I going to do this? You have to put it together yourself. So the last time I got a bookshelf, I brought it home and uh, I, I opened it up and uh, I couldn't find the instructions. And, like usually you open it up, you cut the box open, you unfold it and the instructions are right there on the top. And so I said, well, I am not going to drive all the way back to Charlotte to try to get exchange this for some with instructions. So I'm going to try to put it together myself. And so I did. And uh, hours later, uh, I realized something. I was completely done with this bookshelf, but there was a few pieces that were left over. And um, also, when you touch the bookshelf, no big deal. But when you touch it, it, uh, it wobbles pretty bad and it'll fall over. So I was like, no big deal. I'll put it in the corner. And we'll have two walls to kind of support it and hold it up. So I put some books on it, and I, you know, I'm sitting there looking at the pieces, and, and uh, the bookshelf starts to fall apart. And um, that's when I noticed something. I had accidentally opened up the box on the bottom. The instructions were in there. They were just on the top of the box because normal people opened the top of the box at the top of the box. And so that's when I pulled out the instructions. I was like, oh, that's where that piece goes. <laughs> Okay, so that bag of screws, I should have used those. I, thought, I just thought those were extra in case I ever lost one. And so I ended up having to take the whole thing apart and redo it. And when I finished, all of the pieces were used, and it was fairly steady <laughs> and is still standing to this day. See, what we don't understand is our life is a lot like a piece of Ikea furniture. And so we see all of the pieces, but... We know what the final product should look like, but the problem is you are never going to get there if you don't have the instructions. You can try to put it together yourself, and it'll take a really long time, 
And then you'll realize, you'll look down, there'll be a lot of pieces that you didn't end up using, things that God wanted to do, things that God wanted to show you and teach you in your life. But unless you have the instructions that God gave you, you'll never experience the purpose and the plan that he has for your life. And the only way to not believe the lies is to have the instruction manual open. And to say, no, 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 that, that, those two pieces don't go together. Here is the order in which it is done. This is what I need to do next. This piece and this piece go together, and it, and it will build the life that God has called you to, has created you to experience. But I'm afraid that too many people are trying to put their life together and all the pieces together without the instruction manual. The, the one that created you knows everything about you has every day of your life written out even before you were born. Can I just encourage you to first get the instruction manual and to look and see what he says to do? Because I'm telling you, if not, you're going to be frustrated. It's going to be painful. You're going to miss out on so much and it's going to take you a lot longer to get there. So maybe for some of you today is a time where you need to say, hey, right now what I've built is kind of wobbly. And I thought I knew some things and I was believing some things that weren't true. And honestly, the best thing for me to do is to kind of take that apart and start over and ask God, what would you have for me? What's the plan that you have for my life? What's, what order do I need to do it? How do I need to trust? What do I need to know? What are the promises that I need to be reminded of today? I'm telling you, you pull out the instruction manual for life and you'll realize not only will you get to that destination quicker, It'll be a lot less pain. It'll be a lot more foundation, a lot sturdier in your life if you'll simply just pick up the instructions. What would it look like for you just to make the decision today? Hey, I'm not going to believe the lies. I'm not going to do this life by myself. I'm just going to trust that God knows what he's doing, that he has a plan, and I'm going to open it up and build this like God called me to. Remember the truths that God says about you, about your life, the plan that he has for your future. And open up the instructions today and start with understanding how much God cares, how much God loves, that he sees you exactly where you are but loves you too much to leave you there. And the sacrifice that he gave to you and to me, the desire that he had to rescue us from slavery by giving us freedom that can only be found in accepting Christ Jesus. That's my hope and my prayer for you today. This week, would you be willing to open up the instructions and listen to God and do what he says? Let me pray for you. God, thanks for preserving this story. What a, what a reminder of your goodness, of your love, of your compassion. God, what good news that we have to know that you see us, you hear us, you know us, and you have a plan. There will be a day where we'll see all of this unfold. And so God, even during the hardships, even during the difficulties right now, I pray that our faith would remain strong, that our level of obedience would remain high, that our perspective would be focused on you. And God, when we waver, when we falter, when our faith gets weak, God, remind us of the rescue plan that you have that you sent your son to die for us. What a gift. And God, when times get hard, help us to remember that you're still working, that you still care, that you still love us, and we can still trust you. God, may you give us the wisdom to know what to do with the words that we've just heard. I pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name. 
Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.